follow your heart. It's common advice, isn't it? Uh, follow your heart. Uh, we hear it given from gurus on social media with some kind of display like this often, a uh, beautiful picture. Follow your heart into something pure and wonderful and it will make life better. We, we get it through Disney. Here we go. Uh, from the movie Coco, the rest of the world may follow the rules, but I must follow my heart. Says Ernesto. This is driving him. There's this sense, isn't there, which sometimes we feel like we can't trust our thinking we can't trust all the logic and we can't trust all the advice we're getting from other people. Sometimes it's because there's a confusion. Sometimes it's just because there's so much of it. There's different ideas. There's lots going on. They, but that's outside. They can't see the world the way I see it. They, it's, there's lots going on. But I need to dig down deep inside and follow my heart. I need to access where my desires are, where my where my personality is most protected, who I am at core. And I need to be true to that person there. My intuition will lead me forward. Well, this is, this is the advice we often get. But how far can we actually trust our hearts? How far can we trust that deep sense of directing us which way to go. For lots of people, that's the most authentic way to be, is to live trusting your heart's desire. And if you're not trusting that, if you're not expressing your heart's desire, then that's being untrue to yourself. Well... We're continuing our series looking at Romans chapter 1. We've been reading this and thinking about it. And really, we've, we begin the argument of the letter. Paul starts with, at verse 16, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. We've got this clear message about what he's writing about, the gospel. He states it clearly. And then, following on, we've had an explanation about why there's a need for the gospel that saves people. Why do we need to be saved? Well, it's because the wrath of God is being revealed, verse 18. We've seen and talked about God is angry with people. And it's not just something he's thinking angrily in his head. It's being revealed. There is judgment against people for all the wickedness and godlessness because they have suppressed the truth and in doing so, their thinking has become futile. We looked into this last week, didn't we? We can't trust our thinking as fallen human beings because it's been corrupted and broken as we've rejected God from our worldview rejected him from his rightful place as the creator and ruler, as we now try and understand everything, it just won't match up with reality. We won't see things rightly. God, wrath is being revealed against all the 
wickedness and godlessness of people. Our thinking can't get us out of the situation because it's affected too, it's broken. But what about our hearts? Can our deepest desires, being true to our inner selves, can that lead us somewhere better? Well, the answer is no, isn't it? Because Paul's already given us what the answer is. It's the gospel of the salvation that God has provided. Uh, But as we read on today, as we read through particularly verses 24 to 27, we see that even our desires as human beings have been corrupted by sin. Our desires are misdirected and therefore untrustworthy. Have a look with me. We'll start actually, let's read the whole passage again to familiarize ourselves with it, starting from verse 16. Let's be like, hearts just revealed. Hearts revealed, that's today. Um, Here it comes. Romans 1 from 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Hearts revealed. We can't trust our thinking affected by the fall and we can't trust our heart's desires. Paul says very clearly, explaining the human condition, our desires are misdirected. They're sinful desires, shameful lusts, as he's described them. This is the state of the, of the world in general. Paul here is describing the nature of sin, what happens as people reject God. He's not talking about one just particular subset of people that he's looking at, although 
this would have been very evident in the Roman world. Uh, but it is something that's, that's been evident throughout the Old Testament as we read, as God's people have come into contact with different people, different nations around, we see these same things played out. This is what happens as people live rejecting their creator. They don't think straight and their desires become misdirected. And Paul, uh, elsewhere, he notes that it's not just something that happens to the, the Gentiles out there or people who are outside the church. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, all of us, he's including himself here, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul recognises this is the state of fallen humanity as a whole. Everyone's desires lead them astray, lead them away from what is good and right, lead them to live in ways that are opposed to what is good and right. And notice Paul mentions here as well that the result of this is is wrath. This is bound up in God's punishment for our rejection of him. And I don't know if you noticed as we read through before, as we, we noticed this desires that are now corrupted by sin. Did you notice God was at work in that? But twice we are told God gave them over. And as we keep reading, there's another time we'll get to next week. God gave them over. In this way, God is responding to people's rejection of him by actively handing them over to the life of sin. That they, that we choose by rejecting our creator, by not giving thanks to him and honouring him as, we, as he should be honoured. By not giving him the glory in that spiritual decision, choosing not to worship God as he should be worshipped. God then hands us over into the consequences of that. What's the consequences of not living with God as God? Well, it's all these things, isn't it? Having broken thinking, having misdirected hearts, desires for sin instead of for good. It's a little bit like you may know the story of the prodigal son. The son who, the younger son who's desperate to get his hands on his inheritance, he doesn't regard his relationship with the father as important, his relationship with his brother, being a part of the family. All he wants is to get his money and to go and have a good time. And he asks for it from his father. What does his father do? His father gives him the money, even though he he knows that the son's going to misuse it. It's going to take this good thing and not do what's good with it. He hands it over. He allows the son, even sends him off out into the world to do this. Our God, in the same way, gives people over. 
to their sin. Uh, this is part of the penalty. It's part of his, his wrath revealing itself. As people reject him as God, he gives them over to these negative consequences. And notice, it's not like you do this wrong thing and then there's this kind of disconnected penalty that comes afterwards, like a fine for parking in somewhere too long. There's nothing really connecting those things except that we've all agreed on it being part of society. Uh, But here, the penalty actually is the choosing of sinfulness, the living out of sinfulness, the embracing the life that doesn't honour God. Did you notice that it said in verse 27 that they received in themselves the due penalty for their error? As people embraced this life, pursuing their wayward desires... They received the consequences. Friends, we need to be clear on this. The sinful life isn't the better option. Sometimes we, we can fall into this thinking. That's sometimes the way the world thinks, that living God's way is keeping you from the good life. It's, it's like there's all these parties and fun and stuff that you're missing out on. That's not the reality. The reality is... God's way is best. And pursuing life contrary to his design actually is to our detriment. Here's a great quote from Australian theologian Leon Morris, native of Lithgow. Uh, Notice that Paul doesn't call on God to punish sinners. Rather, he has the profound thought that their immersion in their sin is itself their punishment. People choose life without God and God says, well, I can punish you by giving you just that. Life without his good ordering. He's leading them into what is right and beneficial. God gave them over to misdirected desires, which are a penalty in themselves. God's wrath is revealed. Now, you may be thinking, this is very harsh of God. Maybe even think this is a kind of ugly picture of God. Uh, But remember, this is is an important part of who God is, a God who is wrathful, a God who doesn't stand by and let people sin and just shrug his shoulders. But in the grand scheme of things, He is working towards a plan of mercy. This is what he says, this is what Paul says later in Romans. God has bound everyone over, everyone, Jews and Gentiles, he's talking about, over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Even in God's handing people over to their desires of life without him, even him granting them the autonomy to choose their Pursue their misdirected desires. He does this with the aim of having mercy 
And we're going to look further into that later on in Romans. A few weeks from now, if you're working out how long it will take to get there, it'll be a little while, uh, but we'll get there and explore this wonderful, profound reality that God is a God who works through all things, even through punishing sin, to bring about his mercy. But that's something we need to take into the picture. Now, where are we up to? Uh, We can't trust our desires. They're broken by the fall. God has given us over as sinful human beings to pursue these desires for what is not right and to wallow in sinfulness as as its own penalty. And what is the form this takes? Well, particularly here, Paul tells us about this takes the form of pursuing things, desiring things out of the good order that God has created. And he mentions two particular ways this happens. Firstly is idolatry, where created things are worshipped as God. Uh, That's in verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. We talked a bit about this last week. Uh, This is one of the ways our desires that are misplaced, misdirected, seek to work themselves out. We find other things besides God to worship. We pursue our meaning and value and our worthship in things that are not God. Idolatry. And the second way, and the one that gets a bit more focus in these verses, is through sexual immorality. And throughout the Bible, these things go hand in hand, idolatry and sexual immorality. Throughout the prophets, they mention these things together because it's the same disordering of God's good order in creation. We read about it earlier in Genesis 2, didn't we? That God created Eve for Adam. And he created marriage as the union of one man and one woman. They are no longer two, but one, united. Designed to be a lifelong partnership and to be the context in which sex is well and rightly and good. It's the context where it leads to procreation and where children can be raised for the good ordering of society. But here we see in this passage that as people's desires are misaligned with God's, they pursue sexual immorality. We're told about it generally in verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And then more specifically, he talks about the expression of homosexual activity in verses 26 and 27. Women pursuing sexual relations with other women, men pursuing sexual relations with other men. Uh, This is out 
of step with the good order that God has created, isn't it? That God has created the marriage between one woman and one man as the place for sex to be expressed and enjoyed. But here, and we see perhaps in one of the most foundational orders of society, marriage. Here we see people's desires to rebel against that and to express, pursue sex in a way that doesn't match up with that, with God's basic ordering of society. Created them male and female in his image. Unites them in marriage. Craig, this is the context of the one flesh union. Here Paul describes people abandoning that order. The misdirected desires lead them astray into idolatry and sexual immorality. And he calls it, notice he calls this unnatural. They abandon their natural relations for unnatural ones. What does that mean? It's talking about it going against the grain of the way God's created things, isn't it? God's created male and female and designed marriage and procreation to happen with male and female. He even talks about these activities as being shameful. Now, we live in a society that wouldn't, on whole, take the same view as what Paul is describing here, would it? Would wouldn't expect to hear this language used in our politicians, in the media, even in our schools it would be. Like public schools would be surprising. I'd be surprised. If it was talked about in this way. In our society, sexual morality... There's a very different view on it, isn't there? What God sees as disordered, going against the grain of the way he's made things, what God sees as, or what Paul describes here as shameful, it's very different from the way our society lives. Our society celebrates sexual expression in whatever way you can as long as you're being true to yourself. Isn't it? And you're not hurting anyone else as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Being... It's important to be true to yourself and that there's nothing shameful as long as you're being true to yourself. That's the, that's the key. But Paul lived in society like this as well. The Roman world celebrated sexual expression outside marriage and the world has had this going on in societies age after age. In one sense, we, we're experiencing it as a change, a, a new dynamic in our society in the way that it's quite overt. But it's not new in the history of the world. As we reject God, sinful humans reject God from his rightful place, we turn away from his rightful ordering of things, his design for how things work well. 
Our thinking becomes futile. Our desires become misaligned. And we seek to fulfill them in idolatry and immorality. And these two things come together, don't they, in our society? We see this all the time where idolatry and sexuality get mingled and people try and pursue their meaning and value and their worship through sex, through sexual expression. They're searching for that transcendence that ultimately can only be fulfilled through a relationship with God, but people desperately try and look for it in other places and sex is a very common channel for people to pursue that. And sadly, it doesn't work. Sex can't sustain. It's trying to find our value and meaning there. Idols can't sustain us trying to find our value and meaning. Anything within creation can't be a foundation for building our purpose, our value in. And anything within creation definitely can't help us to have a relationship that's transcendent beyond creation, can it? We need the God who made the world, the God who designed the world, who knows how it works best. We need him. Now, we read this. What do we, what do, we do after we read this? How does it shape and change us? Knowing that our heart's desires can't be trusted. Knowing that this is the sinful bent towards wanting things that aren't good is a characteristic of fallen humanity. Well, the first thing I think is we ought not to be surprised when we see our society acting out these things. When we see our society embracing idolatry and sexual immorality. Paul tells us clearly that this is characteristic of humans humans living without God, without respecting God as God. We shouldn't be surprised. That's the first thing. The second thing is we sometimes we see the change in our society and it fills us with not just surprise but fear. Where is our society going and what can we do to put the brakes on and cultivate it to be more like the society we knew 40 years ago or the society we imagine from 40 years ago, some of us who aren't 40 years old or our memories aren't that good. Uh, but sometimes we want to we think how do we, how do we maintain things in a way that's more reflective of the society that does honour God? And we think, what can we do to advocate for change? And sometimes we can be filled with panic or a sense of doom that if we don't act in certain ways that we're powerless, that it's kind of slipping away from us. I think we, we need to understand society as something that's not in our culture, in our world. We need to remember that it's not ours but it is God's. And that if 
in God's wisdom and his plan ultimately for mercy, if he's handing over people to misdirected desires, shameful lusts, and our society is pursuing this, then seeing and trusting God's hand in it shouldn't shouldn't paralyze us with fear. Now there may be, there's always wise things to do and we still want to proclaim the truth clearly about God's good design, about what works best. But we need to, we need to be real with the fact that this is all stemming from people rejecting God as God, isn't it? There's a spiritual issue that underlies all the moral consequences. And that ultimately, the solution to our society not living in a way that is pleasing to God and in a way that we feel comfortable with, it isn't kind of having some kind of moral structure that controls society. The solution is the spiritual solution that God has already provided, that Paul has already made clear. What is it? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Everyone who believes. That's for those who worship idols. Those who whose desires have been misdirected and they've pursued sexual immorality. The gospel is the power for salvation. The gospel is the power for salvation for a society, a community that is expressing its rejection of God in idolatry and immorality. The gospel is what our world needs most. As we fear things changing and feel like it's not what it was and we're worried about what's coming next, maybe you're confused and maybe there's anxiety. Uh, Let me remind you that the solution hasn't changed. The gospel is God's power to change people's hearts from being misdirected away from him, pursuing things out of the order he's designed. The gospel is the power to soften hearts. Good news of Jesus' conquering of sin, his triumph over death through his resurrection. The sure promise of forgiveness of sins. That is what our world needs. That is what we need, isn't it? As we keep in our sinfulness, slipping, falling into temptation to pursue things outside of God's good design, we need to keep hearing the gospel. reminding ourselves of the promise of salvation in Jesus for all who believe. Reminding ourselves to trust God 
orienting ourselves to him. Our world is changing. Society is changing. But God's plan is not changing. God's message is not changing. The rest of the world may follow the rules, but I must follow not my heart. I must follow Jesus. Let me finish with these words. Paul writes later in the letter. Romans 13. He says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me pray. Lord God, as sinful people, we know our brokenness. We know our inclination to want things that are wrong and not good for us. They're not according to your good design. Please, Lord, would you more and more cleanse our hearts, shape them to love what you love, Please strengthen us that we might fight the temptation. We might not gratify the desires of our sinful nature. And Lord, please fix our eyes ever more clearly on Jesus. On the salvation we know that is only available in him. Help us to be so enraptured and so caught up with what he has done and who he has made us to be, that the message of the gospel would spring forth from our lips and we would be so eager to share it with those from our world who are, who are living in a way contrary to your design. We pray that you would help us to speak with compassion and love. And we pray that you, in your mercy, would, would choose to bring people to salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his ultimate glory. Amen.